way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, praise team. Why don't you give them a hand? They work every week. We have people that are here every week, 4 o'clock on Saturdays, 7.30 on Sunday mornings, making sure that we have a time where we can worship and praise God. So just want to just appreciate them for the work that they do. As I said, Pastor Jeff is and Pastor Ann are spending time with family. Uh, I'm Pastor Paul. If you don't know me, I'm the executive pastor here at Faith Fellowship. And I'm going tonight just continue on in the series that we've been on this summer, which is Walking with Pete. And the thing I love about this is we're looking at someone that's just an ordinary person. And you go, but wait a second. He's, he's this big person that walked with Jesus. But he's an ordinary person. There's a book out called Just 12 Ordinary Men. And that's what these people were. They were the most unlikely people that a religious leader would pick to be his followers and the people that walked with him. And that's, to me, those are my heroes in the Bible, are the people that are human, that they walk and that they struggle and that they have things that they, they struggle with and fight with, just like we do. But Jesus still called them. Jesus still found them to be the ones that he needed, even though they were theologians out there ready. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted someone that was open and willing to listen and willing to do what he's calling them to do and not correct him and how they think it should be and what things should be. So tonight we're continuing on the series and tonight um, the theme is harmony. And, pa- and John Brooker last week was talking about how that sort of his lined up with what he spoke about last year. And just for f- just to look, I went back and looked at what, what I spoke on last year and I spoke on the Spirit-filled church And one of the segments of that was about just harmony within the church. And so it's just sort of just just unusual how they're lining up this way. Even though it's a completely different focus, it's still the same thing. That in church, we need to have harmony. We need to be united. And harmony comes from the Greek word harmos. And it's just simply a joining or a joint. Just like your wrist, your elbow, your knee. And it's just the way that things work together is what it's talking about. Because we need to work together. And so by using your joints of your body, it shows you how as we work together, we can accomplish things. The dictionary defines harmony as an agreement, an accord, a harmonious harmonious relations, a consistent, orderly, or pleasing arrangement of parts, congruity. Or, and I like this part, the word harmony The definition is an arrangement of the contents of the gospel, either of all four or of the first three, designed to show their parallelism, mutual relations, and differences. But harmony symbolizes tranquility, peaceful coexistence, but often harmony sets up a tension that are then satisfyingly resolved as they go on. So sometimes when you're trying to reach harmony, you're going to hit some hot spots. You're going to hit some conversations that are tough to have. And I spend a lot of my time actually dealing with with things, just trying to make things work together and trying to get people to sort of 
sort of see eye to eye about things because everyone has an opinion. Everyone has the way they think it should work. But what I found out is, is if we sit down and we take the time and we use the energy to have the conversations, we can usually come to something that works. Now, it's not a lot of fun at the very beginning, but if you put the work into it, we can come to a point where we can work in harmony and can do something that is going to honor the gospel and honor what God's called us to do. And harmony is something that the world has sought throughout the ages. In 1918, at the conclusion of World War I, President Woodrow Wilson proposed the 14-point program for world peace. They plastered this around the world. They were sending leaflets into the battlefield. They were doing everything they could to promote this plan of these 14 points for world peace. He then went to, to France, to Versailles, where the treaty to end World War I was formulated. And most of his proposals were scuttled by countries that were more interested in regaining what they lost and actually gaining more by punishing Germany. So even though people were trying to put forth, okay, we just went through this horrific war. Let's do something to bring peace. Their personal interest oversaw that. And they actually wanted to gain more by punishing the country that started it. Another thing that happened just that shows that we're always looking for peace and harmony is in 1971, a simple advertising jingle took off. And it became a world call for unity and harmony. It started off not even as the song that it ended up being. It was a pop song that originated a song called True Love and Apple Pie. It's a British hit by the songwriter Roger Cook and Roger Greenway, and it was sung by a lady named Susan Shirley. But the idea that ended up turning the song into what it became later came to uh, Bill Becker, an advertising executive working for McCann Erickson. Becker and Roger Cook and Billy Davis were delayed at an airport in Ireland. And after a forced layover with many, many hot tempers, they noticed the next morning their fellow travelers were joking with each other, talking with each other while they were enjoying this product. So Backer wrote the jingle idea on a napkin and shared it with the British hit songwriter Cook and Roger Greenway. The ad that they produced cost $250,000 in 1971, which is $1.8 million today. And at that time, it was the most expensive commercial in history of all time. The popularity of that jingle led to it being recorded in two versions one by the New Seekers and another by the Hillside Singers, a full-length song dropping the reference to the product. The song became a hit recorded in the U.S., the U.K. in 2005. ITV ranked the advertisement 10th in the list of greatest advertisements of all time. So I do, I've got a version of it where it starts with the actual commercial version and then switches over to the version that did not have the product on it. Let's watch it. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing and dance 
So the New Seekers recorded that song and it sold 96 copies in one day, eventually selling over 12 million in total. It, claimed, it climbed to number one in the UK, number seven in the US, and became a gold record in the US. And Coke actually donated the royal, the rights to that song and actually paid $80,000 to UNICEF just to help out with this theme that was just going around the world of let's bring peace and harmony. The funny part of that is in 2015, a public service announcement about the consequences of excessive soda consumption altered that version using the same tune, and they called it Change the Tune, and they sang it to that, but talking about how bad sugar consumption was for you. I listened to it. It is a very gross, disturbing song. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead. We're going to read in our scripture now. We're going to start where we left off last week. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 10. So you can remain seated while we, while we read the scripture, and then we'll stand at the end. And you'll find that, um, just take it off the screen, it's 1015 or something in the Bible in front of you. So 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 10. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen, a precious, and precious, whoever believes in him will not be be put to shame. Let me go back and read that again. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why don't you stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just pray right now as we just honor the reading of your word, the word that you left for us as our guidebook. The words that you left to show us how to live for you. Just pray that we we just open our hearts, open our ears, and just listen to the word that you have for us. In your name, amen. You may be seated. So tonight is a very just, I was even telling Pastor Jeff this, it was just a very straightforward, simple message. And part of that is, I read a thing from Mark Twain, where Mark Twain is quoted as saying, most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passage in the scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. His statement is a commentary of this passage. The question is, is what are we going to do about it? So the message is simple, but the application is very hard. Because our flesh doesn't want to do it. Our flesh wants to fight it. So as the scripture begins, it talks about how harmony begins with a call to love. But it also comes with a command. In verse 22, it says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. What is one of the things that we as humans have the hardest thing doing? Obedience. Struggle with that. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. When you look at the Greek, the word sincere is unfeigned, undisguised, sincere, without without hypocrisy. Anipokritos is the word. Fervently, ectinos, earnestly, intensely. And you should do it from a pure heart. Proverbs 29 says, who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean clean from my sin. I don't think any of us can say that. Only God can say that for us. But it talks about love because, see, love is at the very center of the Christian lifestyle. In fact, love is the very character, the very essence of God. We find that in 1 John 4, 8. And Jesus contended that it would be by his love, it will be by my love, that everyone would recognize his disciples. That's in John 13, 35. And so he talks about this love and how we need to love one another. But not just, I love you. It's a sincere, a deep, a caring love that really cares about whether what you just said hurt them or not, that really cares whether or not what you just did stirred up something that you really need to go back and apologize for. That's the type of love. It's it's a love that is willing to say, I'm sorry. It's a love that's willing to say, how can I fix this? It's a love that's willing to say, you are more important to me 
than this disagreement that we have. Because as humans, we're too quick to walk away and leave people standing over disagreements. But we need to stop and we need to say, you're more important than this disagreement. Let's figure this out. And so after he gave the command about love, he gives us a call for us to put things away. The first thing he tells us to put away is malice. Malice is the desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another. How many of you know someone like that? It's like they just go around trying to find ways to say something hurtful to somebody, to say something mean to somebody, to pull a, 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 a prank on them. Not that, that you know, oh, it was just funny. No, they know that that prank will hurt them. They know that there's something attached to it that will upset them. And there are people that do that. They just, they just love to do things that just, and they say, oh, I'm just, I'm just being funny. Just being honest. You know, I just, I, I wasn't serious. The other one's deceit, the act or practice of deceiving, concealment, or distortion of the truth for the purpose of misleading. Duplicity, fraud, cheating. Another thing that we're supposed to put away is hypocrisy. A pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious belief or principles that one does not really possess. Envy, a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regards to another's advantage, success, possessions, etc. It's a hard one to deal with. You see something that you'd like to have and someone down the street has it. You'd really like to advance in your career, but the person that sits at the, next, at the desk next to you got that advancement. We always like, well, why didn't I? And envy is something that we struggle with because we, we want that and don't understand why we didn't get it. Slander is a malicious, false, and defamatory statement or report. And a lot of times when people are in trouble, they do this. They, they try to throw the focus off of them. They know they're wrong, but if I throw the focus off of me, I'll sort of let someone else take the fall for this. I won't tell them that, oh, I'm the one that did that because everyone's thinking this other person did that. Or I'll just outright say that someone else did it because they're not in the room at the moment. Who's going to care? Well, it matters. But as we read through these, at the very beginning where it says obedience, you see, the most important thing to note is that obedience is the right response to truth. So the scripture tells us, Put off these things. So obediently we need to put off those things because that is a right response to truth. Thus obeying the truth means believing in the gospel. Because the gospel is what? The gospel is truth. And if you believe in the gospel, you will obey the gospel because you, you want to obey truth. You see, once we go through this, God changes us. As we start putting these things off, he changes us. And as we do that, we're to put aside or strip off the old sinful habits, like a set of tattered, worn-out clothes. 
There's a song I've looked for all week long, and I talked to a ton of people, and no one could remember the song. Last night, I mentioned it to my wife. She goes, oh, I know that song. She says, why didn't you ask me two days ago? But it's been through the water. And I just want to read the first section and chorus of it. It says, the preacher pulled the boy up from the water. Alleluia's rose from the banks. There was a new set of clothes from his father and a prayer of thanks. The boy walked barefooted all the way home for dinner. And when they laughed at his muddy feet, he said, I've been through the water and I've come out clean. And I've got new clothes to cover me and you don't wear your old shoes on your brand new feet when you've been through the water. And that's what's happening here. As we obey the gospels, we put off the things that we're told to put off. As we turn our back on those things that are hampering us, as we obey, we change. We shed our old self. And you don't want to put your old clothes back on. Our desires and goals become less and less important are bent toward being at the center of it all at any cost is no longer essential to us. Because as we go through this change, we become a new creature in him. And as we go through this change, it brings us to a place of desire for his word. Desire, epipotheo, to long for, desire, to pursue with love, to greatly long after. It's not, oh, I just like to read the Bible. It's not, I I want to read the Bible. Oh, I missed reading the Bible. I need to make it up. It's something that you look forward to. It's something that you long to do. You pursue it. Psalms 42.1 says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. In the scripture, it talks about how you're supposed to drink the milk, the baby's milk. Now, and I know in scripture, there's times where it's sort of, you're sort of being fussed at for drinking baby's milk. Why are you still drinking baby's milk? This is not one of those cases. This is one of those cases where it says if, You know you need to have nutrition. You know you need to grow. Just as a baby knows it needs milk to grow. A Christian, we should know that we need God's word. And his challenge here is simple. Because he says, just taste the goodness of God. If you're unsure, I just love this challenge. You can tell this to anyone. If you're unsure... Just taste it. Just taste the goodness of God. And I guarantee you, you will be convinced. And the purpose of all of this as we go through this is so that he, God, can establish within us his church with him as the cornerstone. You see, a transition is happening here. We're going from the old covenant to the new covenant. We're going from the priest having to be our intercessors to us actually being able to talk to God directly. 
And with that comes a lot of responsibility, but with that comes that struggle between our human nature and what we want to do and what we should do. You know, we can't go to the priest and just say, oh, how many doves do I need to sacrifice? I did this. Oh, that's going to be 13, you know. Or, oh, wow, you might want to get 20 this week. You know, that's not how it works. Now it's a relationship. It's a relationship where you are sitting there talking to God. And you're having to look, you're having to talk to him directly and say, God, how do I deal with this? Because what happens is when you get into those types of confessional type of relationships, it becomes comforting. Oh, all I got to do is tell you that I've sinned. And I've actually worked with people that come from sort of that background. And it's just like every week they'd come to me, well, I did this, 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 and this. And I go, well, did you try not to? And it's like, well, I didn't know I needed to. I thought I just needed to come tell you and it would be okay. And that's not how it works. We are to be changed. And we are to fight those desires. Like I say, one of the the biggest things that I deal with is just dealing with with the controversies of why don't we do it this way? Why don't we do it that way? Why can't we do it this way? Why are the walls that color? Why can't they be this color? I like this color so much better. The carpet's the wrong color. The carpet should be that color. And it goes on and on and on. And just the time on the phone, on, in a world that we live in today where the culture is changing faster than we can figure it out. We're dealing with issues that we've never dealt with before. And people are coming at us with all of their great ideas And so you try to accommodate and only find out that you're being offensive to this other group over here. And what's happening is, as the culture changes, we are not to change our morals. We are not to change our standards. We are not to look like the world. We are to shine a light into the darkness of the world. And that's where a lot of times people get confused. It's like, well, I need to be gracious. I need to be accepting. There is truth in that, but that doesn't mean that you accept the sin. It means that you're gracious to the sinner. But you don't accept the sin. And that's where so much of our world is getting confused. Because see, in the As the Old Testament drops away, the New Testament comes into play. The New Covenant comes into play. And as it comes into play, we are the church. This is not the church. This is a building where we come and we get encouraged. We get taught. We fellowship. We we worship God. But this is not the church. The church is each one of us as we go out during the week, as we get together, as we fellowship. It's us. And see, what's happening now is he's establishing his church with him as the cornerstone. And it talks about that he is the stone that man rejected because he was truth. And they didn't want to hear truth. 
And he will not only become part of the temple, he is the chief cornerstone. When you build a building, and I'm not a builder, so don't fuss at me if I'm a little off. Now, I do know when you lay tile, sometimes you start in the middle of the house. But when you build a building, you don't put a block in the middle of a wall along here. You start at the corner, and you build off of the corner. And that corner is what everything else is built off of. And it unites the entire building. Well, he is the chief cornerstone. It's the beginning point of the building. And everything else is built off of it. And you're always going back and referencing that corner as to where things are and where they should be based on that corner. And what was happening during this time is in the, in the past, people had no direct access to him. The Israelites had to go to a priest to commune with God. We read about the pilgrimages they had to take. I mean, don't you think, to me, it's just a blessing that once a year we don't have to trek over to Israel. And they had to walk, (laughs) you know. And go to one specific place and go to a priest to commune with God. No, we do it every day, anytime we want. And we don't do it as much as we should. They depended on the priest to ask God for forgiveness because they didn't know how. They didn't have the ability to have that conversation. And they had to look to the counsel. They had to seek counsel from the priest and the judges to guide them. And we just were praying that they were giving them the right counsel. Because as we read through the Bible, so many judges that God had appointed just went on their own way. So many priests did their own thing. But see, he changed all of that. Because God can now establish us, each one of us, as part of his spiritual house so that we can be holy priests. We are a holy priesthood. You see, to the Jewish people, the priests were their connection to God. But now he's setting us up to be the priest. And unlike the physical sacrifices the priests made under the old covenant, now we bring sacrifices of worship and praise to him. You see, we offer a spiritual sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of of lips that acknowledge his name. We find that in Hebrews 13, 15. It says, through him, let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And that's thirteen seven. And then in our scripture, it says, for it stands in scripture. This is the only time the phrase for it stands in scripture is used to cite the old Test- to cite an old testament scripture. Normally it says it is written. But what he's saying is it stands in the scripture because the bible is one of the is the only book, not one of the only books, it is the only book that proves itself within itself. 
You don't need to go outside of the Bible to prove it. People do, and they still find that it's true. But the Bible is self-proving, for it stands in Scripture. And it's referencing Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. You see, as the cornerstone, a cornerstone unites the building and it brings harmony. Christ does not bring believers to shame, but strengthens us to withstand the world's persecution upon us. To the unbeliever, he becomes a stumbling block because they rejected him. Becomes a stumbling block because he's telling them the truth that they don't want to hear. He's telling them this is wrong and they're going, but I don't want it to be wrong. And a lot of times blaming him, saying it's because because of you. And then God goes on to reassure us of who we are in him. He tells us we have been chosen by him. He chose us. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. You see, a a people chosen by him, the fact that God has entered into a covenant with his people entails both privilege, privilege. We all like privilege. Oh, I've got the privilege of being in a relationship with God. It entails both privilege and obedience and obligation. The two go hand in hand. You see, we've been called out of darkness so that we may proclaim him. He called us out of the darkness that we live in. Matthew 4, 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And we are to proclaim his glory to those who still live in the darkness. You see, we have to remind ourselves. I have to remind myself that I was once nothing and I had nothing. But he changed all of that. You see, we were not a people. We were like the Israelites scattered from the promised land. We were like the Gentiles who had no direct access to God. You see, we once had no mercy But through his redemptive work for us, we now have access to his mercy. As a scattered and sinful people, the Israelites did not have access to his mercy. The Gentiles who were not his chosen people did not benefit from his mercy. But we are now a people walking with hope and mercy because he has redeemed us. He has chosen us. He has given us hope. He has set us apart. He calls us to love one another and he calls us to live in harmony. And in doing that, we have to know what that image of God is 
that he has for us. In a meeting at the Billy Graham team, there was a team member that shared a spiritual insight. And he said there was a topic of discussion that came about the image of Dr. Graham and his ministry. Because that's what we're concerned about. Our image. What will people think? What will the neighbors think about me? But Dr. Graham immediately said that the need is not to create any kind of ministry, of image for this ministry. It is the ministry's task to simply and honestly communicate the image that God has created for the Billy Graham ministry. See, as we close this out, his love for us should change us, should lead us daily to be a light to those in darkness, to deeply love and care for our Christian brothers and sisters and live in harmony with them. And that's what we need to do. We need to do the hard work. We need to have the tough conversations. We need to be able to look at someone and say, you, as my Christian brother, mean so much more to me than this disagreement, than this dispute that we're having. Because what I find out is sometimes we get so sold on what we believe that as we look at the conversation a day or two later, we realize we're both saying the exact same thing. But we weren't willing to give up our point of view. And so we walked away hurt. And we walked away with feelings that may or may not ever be mended because of the things that are said. Why don't you pray with me? I just want us to just take a moment. Kristen's going to come out. She's going to play some music. Let's just, let's just worship for a moment before we close. Let's not rush out of this.
stand and sing this. Spent all week long looking for that song that matched exactly what I felt you were trying to say. And then I look at the song set tonight, Kristen picked the exact right song that wasn't even the song I was looking for. So let's sing this together. Not the same I am the obedience struggling with accepting the truth struggle sometimes because we don't know what the truth is but the truth is in the Bible I don't need to go anywhere else 
I don't need to seek counsel anywhere else. I don't need to say what you really meant was this. What I need to say is, this is what the word of God says. And I will stand on that. And as I stand on that truth, you will protect me. You will provide for me. You will see me through whatever it is that I'm going through. Help us just to get that into our hearts. There's nothing, nothing that can come against us that you haven't seen, that you haven't experienced, that you don't know about. There's nothing that has come into our lives that took you by surprise. It may have taken us by surprise, but it absolutely didn't surprise you because you saw it coming, you knew it was coming. And your goal for us is that it comes as it's coming, that we are in obedience with you so that we can be prepared for when it gets here. Help us to learn that truth. As we go out this week, I just pray that you just just be with us. Help us to do what you've called us in the scripture, to proclaim your excellence. Because that's why you've called us out of darkness. Why would you call us out of darkness for us just to leave everyone else there? When you call us out of darkness and you change us, it should give us a heart and a burden through no matter whatever means we have to to drag people out of that darkness that they're in. Give us that burden that we will do what you're calling us to do to spread your word so that others can be called out of the darkness into your marvelous light your name.